Hey, Real Talk listeners, welcome back. We are in our series uh, when we're talking through really toxic environments and uh, toxicity in the workplace. And so here with Michelle, we uh, have been talking through the last couple of episodes, really toxicity in the in, in the workforce, you know, Michelle's experience in a toxic environment as well as mine, but really uh, identifying how you successfully you know, identify it as well as move forward or make a determination in regards to whatever the case may be. So those are the next couple of talking points we're getting ready to talk through. But obviously, Michelle, we have literally been talking about this. We talk to our clients about it. We talk to leaders about it. We talk to friends and peers about their circumstances. And it's interesting because we literally have a moment in time where we pause in our conversations with peers or executives or leaders or whatever the case may be. And we talk to them about the impacts, like with their impact with staying with the organization or their impact of not doing anything and making change. And I don't think individuals realize how much toxicity can impact an organization. Can we talk about that for a moment? Like that's intense. Absolutely. And you know, it's interesting. And I think it, a lot of things related to people or kind of that HR function in general, because it has historically, it's gotten significantly better, but historically it's been so hard or just we haven't put numbers or linked to business results, even if those aren't related to a specific number um, or finance, right? And because of that, it's easy to take anything that is people-y or feeling-y and just push it aside and say that it doesn't matter or it's not important. But, you know, it's interesting to me is when I started talking publicly about writing this book to friends and colleagues and interviewing people and starting to ask questions, it was amazing to me how many people came out of the woodwork with their own problems and then they shared the impact that that had on them and or the organization. And that's where you really start to see that scope. I do want to pause for all of our listeners who are business owners out there. And I do want to acknowledge that when you are dealing with highly manipulative people, and remember, when we define toxicity, we said someone who is manipulative in a way that is emotionally detrimental to the people around them, okay? So let's keep that definition in mind. But when you're dealing with someone that has that sort of cunning or manipulation as a part of their style, there is what I call or I refer to as the toxic leaders ecosystem. And it's all of the people that kind of hover around them in their world. And some of those people, I would even call them fans or the blind, pick pick your term. I think in some cases, they actually champion and argue for the toxic leader. In some cases, they're just oblivious 
to what the toxic leader does. So what I found in some of my research is the senior leaders or the owners of the company have literally promoted someone because it appears that they're doing a great job and they get results. They show numbers or justification and they just don't realize how toxic that leader is because the leader doesn't demonstrate toxicity around them. Remember by definition, when we say manipulative, we're talking about someone who has the ability to ebb and flow as they need. So the same way they can emotionally tear down an employee because they're manipulative, remember? So in this moment, I'm, I'm destructive because I'm around the CEO of the company. In this moment, I'm on my best behavior. Ultimately, that's what manipulation is, is it's being able to read. It's sort of like the dark side of emotional intelligence. Um, it's being able to read the power positions of the players, the potential scope of the players, the impact of having the players see you the way you show up. And then it's adjusting the way you behave based on who that person is and how they serve you in that ecosystem, if you will. And so just want to say, if you had a toxic leader, give you the benefit of the doubt, you didn't know it because they hid that from you. But now you've got a toxic leader. I want to talk about one of the biggest things you need to go look at right now. And you need to ask yourself some freaking questions pretty quick, like, and it is turnover or time in position. And I would say you need to look at both collectively. So I'm a realist usually, and I'm going to tell you that turnover can be a good thing. New leader takes over, you don't mesh. Some people want transfers or want to leave the organization. You bring new talent in and then there's a cohesiveness within your team. I'm not a fan of leaders who come in and clean out immediately. I think that leaders who come in and clean out immediately aren't leaders. They're actually jerks um, who don't know how to lead people because if they did, they'd come in and they'd learn who was there and how to influence the people that were there. So when it comes to turnover, start by looking from the moment they were hired until today. We've talked to some people who have worked in departments where turnover trended at 100% or more. In fact, the organization that, or the department that prompted me to really get involved in this conversation averaged 160% turnover. Since I left that organization, an additional eight people have left. So you have to ask yourself if half of your team leaves the minute a new leader is hired and then they continue to drop every single month after that. And the people that this leader hires. So a lot of times the leader will tell you, I didn't pick them. We didn't mesh. They weren't good for my team. But then when you have people that that leader actually chose during the interview process, and they're still losing those people, as a senior leadership team, you've got to ask yourself, 
what the heck's going on. You can also look at it and quickly start to see about when they start dropping. There are definitely some trends when it comes to time and position. Doesn't mean that this is always the case. So look at your company specifically. But typically, when someone leaves within the first couple of weeks of being hired, it's because they were confused about the job very often what the problem is. They didn't know what they were getting into. When someone leaves within that first 30 days, it's often tied to a lack of training or feeling overwhelmed, like they're not prepared enough to be successful. So they decide to walk away before they get too invested. When you start to hit the three-month mark or the three to six-month mark, a lot of times that is happening because people are starting to understand the culture of the team that they just became a part of. That is not always the case. And that's why when we talk about this book, we're going to tell you to ask questions, but it is a very, very common reason between three to six, that people finally got a true glimpse of the culture within their department or within the organization and they decide they're out. So, Michelle, um, there are a ton of articles. If you research manipulation in an organization, there are a ton of articles online that ask, you know, or that reference leadership versus manipulating, right? Or is, is a manipulation a tactic of leading a team successfully? So to for all the business leaders or those in leadership positions or human resources right now that are tuning in and listening in, how would you challenge back that perception of manipulation in regards to, at the end of the day, you do have to use some sort of form of manipulation tactics to lead a team successfully or a customer or whatever the case may be into success. So first of all, that'll be a new topic in, in the, the first of the year. <laughs> Guys, look at February. <laughs> that is totally going to be February's topic because it really is a great topic. And it's, it's even a conversation that as learning and development professionals or facilitators that we have about ourselves a lot. You know, when you think about some of the activities that you are asked to do in a training environment, it's easy to say you're manipulating a situation to get a certain outcome so that people will learn a certain lesson, right? And actually, probably one of the most difficult, speaking of activities in leadership classes, difficult activities that I've ever been a part of is an activity where we had, we would break them, break the room into about five or six different groups. And each group had to come up with someone famous that other people would recognize who was successful in the role of a leader. And typically, to to your point, Maria, when we say successful, what you mean, or by, by definition, what you're saying is someone who gets other people to do what they want done. And without fail, there would always be at least one group within the week who would put what I refer to as a bad person on the list. Could have been an influential person, but in my opinion, they were a bad influential person. 
And so the reason I bring that up is because I think it's a much, it's a much more in-depth conversation. And there are some things that you have to agree to. Um, we have to be all on the same page for in order to understand the difference between influence and manipulation. And so I'm going to use someone in history that is historically thought of by virtually every human being walking the planet as a bad person, Adolf Hitler. Okay, so if you look at the, if you look at the very technical definition of leadership, it is to be able to take a group of people and convince them to willingly do what you want done. Um, you could pick any evil tyrant in history that was successful at taking over countries or successful at winning wars, and they would fit into that description as well. What I think we have to do as people leaders is to ensure that our business owners understand being a leader is about influence and it does require, it requires, I can't even, I'm going to say this so much, I don't even care who I make or add. It requires that we all have a basic standard of human values and morality to be considered correct. Um, Maria, you and I have talked about this in our lives in general. I believe when you go out in public, I don't, I don't really give a crap if you agree with me or not on this. If you are going to go out in public around other people, you have basically signed yourself a non-written social contract to behave in a way that is acceptable in a civilized society. And if you can't do it, go live on an island by yourself. Yep, said it out loud. Same thing applies with leadership. If you are going to be given the power and the expectation to influence other people, then that has to be done with a certain level of morality in place. And I'm not talking about what religion you might have, morality, I'm not talking about any of that, I'm talking about the decency of how you treat other people. I know I rambled a whole bunch. I'm really sorry. So what I'm telling you is influence is the word that matters if we're talking about a leader. Manipulation is the word that matters if we're talking about Adolf Hitler. Fair enough. And so that's sometimes when you take a look at executives in power. You're taking a look and you're, they're assessing, they're like, of course, we all have a form of manipulation, but you said at best, it comes back to the morality of it and where you really stand in regards to creating that level of toxicity in your environment. Yep. I think another thing that you will find really quickly, if you start to identify some of the toxicity in your culture is you're going to find a, a significant increase in the use of well-being benefits. You're going to see an increased use in personal time or sick time. You're going to see an increased level of attendance issues, tardiness issues. And all of those things are happening because people don't want to be there. And that results in people walking away. And typically in our culture, particularly in the United States, 
we haven't spent a lot of time linking emotional well-being to physical well-being, but we've started scientists, smart people, have started to document that um, in the past 10 to 15 years. And there's no question that there's a significant amount of evidence that proves when you are struggling emotionally or mentally, your health will suffer as well. You will be more likely to start relying on coping mechanisms. In some cases, that'll be soft addictions that suck, like gambling or buying too much shit from Amazon. Pick your soft addiction. In other cases, your soft addiction could be dangerous to the person, to their family, and even to your work, whether it is an increased use of alcohol or drugs. You see people starting to rely on food as a a level of comfort. And now health starts to decline and the increase in health provided services from the organization starts to increase also. Um, So you're going to see those links if you bother to open your eyes and start to look for them. Yeah, I think um, that's a critical component to take a look at because people who don't want to be at work, they'll start taking time off. And it's interesting because the higher up you go in organizations as well, you'll see people at a professional career level are taking time off. And you're like, man, why are they taking off a Wednesday afternoon? They might be interviewing. (laughs) Yeah. How many times have you heard that, right? Well, that's weird. They're taking off. But it, it absolutely happens. Now, here's the next thing that gets even worse. And because I've tried to use myself as an example of honesty through this entire process, people show up for work, but don't show up for work. Um, sometimes that's worse than people taking the day off because you actually think things are happening, uh, but they aren't. And, and I'll tell you full disclosure and As someone who runs their own business, it sort of sucks to think about an employee doing this, but there are absolutely times I showed up and I looked at Facebook all effing day because frankly, I'm tired of all of it and I just need to check out emotionally. Maybe not all day because that's a lot of time on Facebook, but You show up, you chat with others. There's a lot more time at the water cooler than there was before. There's a lot more examples of your break starting to stretch. It used to be that you walked to the cafeteria to get a coffee and took a 10-minute stroll. And now you're taking five, 10-minute strolls a day. Um, You used to take an hour-ish for lunch. And now lunch is three hours and includes a cocktail or two. Just putting it out there, guys. And this is that person who's not willing to not show up because they don't want to lose the job or they don't want to risk being called out for something, but it's worse than them staying home. So we have people who are obviously turning over in the organization. We have people disengaged and checked out and taking advantage of well-being perks and uh, benefits that the organization has. Anything else leaders need to watch out for? 
So definitely some of the things that you see, and they're not always easy to notice in the moment unless you're laying multiple things on top of other things, but you start to see decline in quality, a decline in interpersonal relationships, whether it's with other people on your team or with your customers. People are frustrated. They feel like they're being abused. Why do you expect them to actually show up and do the right thing for your customers when they feel like they're being treated in a certain way? So um, you can absolutely look from a productivity perspective, from a quality perspective, as well as from an interpersonal relationship perspective. But again, this is just where you need to start layering things together. Um, And then the last thing I'm going to tell you is in every organization I have ever worked for, HR knew who the assholes were. They just often had their hands tied because someone else didn't believe them. All too often, what will happen is HR will hear a rumor or they'll have somebody say something like, off the record, it's not really bad. I just want you to know they're sort of a jerk. It's not harassment, but whatever. Well, can we talk to someone? No, I will deny it. So people don't always disclose honestly to HR either because there is a perception in a lot of organizations that our only job is to protect the company. So most of what we do know is often unsubstantiated. But I promise you, they know exactly who the assholes are because they've been looking at your numbers dwindle in those departments. They've seen increased interpersonal problems. They've probably interacted with the manager as well. So my advice to you would be to seek counsel from your HR team. Just be prepared for what they might tell you. Fair enough. Well, you heard it yourself here. So those are some key indicators, not the only ones, but things for you to identify within an organization. So next episode, we're closing this series out, talking through all the wrap up on this, how you move forward from it. So stay tuned, listeners. Take care. Bye. Bye. 